Hey, this is Todd Stacy and Mary Sell. Welcome to In the Weeds with Alabama Daily News. Uh, back after a couple of weeks hiatus, holidays, and whatnot, um, but we're very pleased. And Mary and I are very pleased to have a special guest on today, Congressman Barry Moore from I would say Alabama's second district, but we're we're kind of in between districts right now. So we'll, we'll we'll get to that. But Congressman, welcome. Thank you, Todd. It's 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 an honor to be on and uh, excited to do the show and get in the weeds a little bit, as we say. The the sort of the name of the show actually came from that because when you know all those years I worked in D.C., that that phrase was just so ubiquitous. Like, well, you know, not to get in the weeds, and we're getting in the weeds. It was just a very D.C. saying. I was like, okay, well, this is be a good title for the show. Like, you know, but let's get kind of detailed oriented. So anyway, um, well, look, let's just start with the biggest question and that's your race for Congress. Um, you're obviously you represent Alabama's second district as it previously was constituted courts redrew that. So you're now running in the first district and in doing so challenging your delegation colleague, Jerry Carl in the Republican primary. So let me just start with that. Why did you decide to, to run in that district? So, you know, obviously that's a difficult decision when you're, you've, you've represented 16 counties and we've built a rapport with those people and we've worked so very hard in the 30 months we've been here. So when the maps were redrawn, obviously they drew my house, my home district, my home county from, from their mid 1800s into district one and seven of the nine counties were counties I already had in my current district. And so, um, there were so many people that said, please consider staying in and fighting. And so, um, when you look at the, the the rate, when you look at the new map, when you look at District One across South Alabama from Dothan to Dolphin Island, it's uh, it went from the 75th most conservative district in the nation to number six. And so, being a House Freedom Caucus member, being rated the most conservative member from CPAC last year out of Alabama, it just made sense that I could represent that district because I don't want to be here in D.C. If you're the Vox Populi, the voice of the people, as we always say. You don't want to be here voting against the district. You want to vote. You want to represent. You want to really be the voice. And so for a district to be that conservative coming out of Alabama and me being House Freedom Caucus and again being the most conservative member here from Alabama, it just made sense. We thought we could represent that district. So Heather and I did a lot of praying and made the decision to engage, and we've been well pleased so far. Okay. Well, that, that kind of answers what the, the question I was going to ask. Did you did you ever consider running in Alabama District 2 despite essentially being drawn out of the district? Was, you know, was that we, part of, go ahead. Well, you know, Mary, it's, it's interesting because we we were looking at it just for me. I already when I was representing the second district, you know, I ran as a conservative, always have been when I was in the state legislature. Todd, you remember I was one of the most dependable conservative votes in the legislature. And so um, but the even the two as it was, was fairly, it was fairly red. I mean, it was fairly conservative. And so, um, but it, it was still probably, honestly, for Republican districts out of Alabama, it was quite moderate, relatively speaking, with the exception of Terry Sewell's Democratic district. It was probably one of the more moderate. But I, I managed to make amends and to serve that district well. But when it went plus four or five, whatever it ended up, a Democrat, I just knew every time I voted in Washington, D.C., my phones were going to be ringing and people are not going to be happy. And I don't want to, I don't want to ever, you know, I'm not going to adjust who I am to represent a district. I want to be who I am and, and be a part of the district, be, be like the voter, be, be the voice truly of the voter. And so for me, Mary, it was just tough to say, 
yeah, I'm going to run in a district that I don't really look like, sound like, talk like, act like, vote like. I mean, it's just I am so conservative. And so for me, it just it doesn't seem like I could do them folks a good job. And that's not fair to that 780,000 people. And so um, it just there was I didn't see a path forward into um, unless I had to change who Barrymore was. And I just wasn't willing to do that. Interesting. Okay. Do you see a path forward for any Republican to, uh, I mean, there, there's eight of them running um, and then what, 13 Democrats. Um, we, we've heard from, you know, John Wall talking about what a challenge that district is going to be for, for the party. What you, you obviously know at least a, a good chunk of that district. What's, what's your advice for, for those eight Republicans? Yeah, so that's a tough district because the district that I represent is now being is going to be represented. The current two that I'm in is going to be represented by three congressmen. And so they've kind of busted that thing up where Tog Elmore is really conservative. It's going to Gary Palmer. Then they've added some more um, moderate and, and uh, Democratic counties into there as well. And so there is a path forward, I think, for the right Republican. But it's not going to be somebody that's a House Freedom Caucus member. It's going to be somebody that's more to the middle, more moderate, I think. And uh, certainly somebody, I think, you know, there's an opportunity for some minority uh, Republicans to come in and step up. And I think we're going to have some good candidates in that race. And with Trump at the top of the ticket, I think that what we saw two days ago with BLM's former, one of the founders saying, hey, Trump's our guy. I think Donald Trump is starting to actually position himself among the American people, if you will, rather than just certain voting blocks. I mean, there, there is a mass of humanity out there. And I say this all the time that shut down Bud Light. There is a mass of humanity out there that took, try that in a small town to the number one song, song in the country who made Anthony Oliver extremely famous for his song about rich men north of Richmond. There is a mass of humanity looking for leadership. They don't all look like me necessarily. They might not even vote like me, but they want a voice in this process. And so, you know, I think there's an opportunity, somebody that's well-spoken, um, especially, you know, I think the, the black community is kind of now starting to wake up that the Democrats have done nothing for them. And so with the right leadership and the right candidate in that seat and they can vote those districts and they can represent it. And hey, man, we got a shot. I think Trump's going to help that at the top of the ticket for sure this year. Um, but uh, again, it's going to have to be somebody that's probably more middle of the road. Um, it's just my guess. And again, I don't know what will happen. We'll see how, how well our party does. The you, rest you of the have year anybody you're looking to support or anybody that's asked for your support in that race? No, I've had a lot of my, 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 my wife, Heather, y'all know her. She really is probably should have ran for this office instead of me. She's kind of a political person and she is a uh, pretty, just, she, she really, all my buddies when I'm in the state legislature, Todd, you remember they'd go up to Heather and go, Hey, if you're running against Barry, we'll donate to you. So, so but we, <laughs> we are helping. We have a lot of people that are running in that seat. A couple of them have reached out to Heather, but we always help Republicans, but we never try to pick in a primary down the ballot or in a, certainly in a race in our state like that. Because I think for us, um, we want to help any candidates who want to get their message out and then let the people choose. So Heather may be helping seven or eight, 10 candidates at any given time, me included, um, and saying, hey, here's what you need to do or here's how you reach people. And then we try to help them just reach the masses and get their message out and then let the voters choose who has the best message and who can possibly do the best job of representing. Hmm. Gotcha. Okay. We, uh, we talked with Jerry Carl the uh, last episode and he described y'all's current situation. Cause I think it was, you had just announced, right? Cause this has all kind of been compressed and he described it as a situation that neither one of you wanted to be in, right? You don't want to run against each other. But that's just the way it is. So 
And it's going to be a compressed timeline, right? I mean, this election is in March. It is, you know, it will be December tomorrow. Um, I guess when this podcast airs. So how do you go about it? How do you draw differences between yourself and Congressman Carl? And kind of as part of that, how do you start appealing to voters outside of the district that you've always represented? I'm, I'm thinking about Baldwin County, Mobile County. Yeah, so that's a. I think that for me, and it's always been my my plan. I, I, you know, I like Jerry. We get along. Everybody says we're two nice guys, and I guess we are. And to differentiate our record, I really think to me it's just a run on my record, Todd I, and and Mary. As you as you just look at our accomplishments while we're in office, you know, um, we were rated the most effective congressman from Alabama in our freshman run, and we've only improved since then. We're up to nearly four thousand cases we've solved for veterans and people with passport issues. And so our constituent services, we were ranked number two out of the Republican class in the Democracy Awards last year. And the entire Congress, Republican Party, we came in second, and then we came in first in workplace environment. And so I think you run on those records of how well have you served. I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to say, look at what we've done and see if we've done a good job for you. And so that I'm the veteran. You know, I think I'm an ag science guy, too. I'm on the ag committee. I'm on Judiciary, I'm House Freedom Caucus, and this being such a conservative district, I think that there's an opportunity there to run strictly on your record. And then the people can decide, you know, and and look, you know, it's it's um, there have been some tough votes. Y'all know that up here. And sometimes you just have to hold the line. But again, I think there is American people out there and certainly people in Alabama who are looking for conservative leaders. And I think my record is second to nobody from the state right now in Washington, D.C. in the fight. And so. I think we just do that. We just differentiate. I, I said, Jerry's a nice guy. I'm a nice guy. And overall, our delegation actually punches above its weight, I think, in D.C. But at the same time, I think this it's easy to say, hey, let's just look at the record. We don't need to make this about personalities or anything like that. Just look at our record. Look at our performance. And so um, we've got quite a record and quite a team, and I'm extremely proud of that. And I think that's what you run on. What Have you, have you spent any time down in Baldwin County and Mobile County, significant time down there? And if so, I'm, I'm assuming you have. Um, what has the response been from voters down that way? You know, are they open to someone from Coffee County representing them? Yeah, I would say it's certainly um, we've been well received. And and uh, and when I'm not uh, out and about, Heather is tied and she's on the road today for me. And so she speaks at different groups and meets with different clubs. And she's been a Republican woman long before I got in politics. She's been in Republican women organizations. And so, you know, I, for us, I've been extremely uh, pleased with the reception. And so I think because I've because of being on judiciary and having the hard hearings with Christopher Ray, the weaponization of government, um, certainly Merrick Garland and the arrest of Donald Trump, the hearings um, on the border in Yuma, Arizona, when I was on judiciary, there have been situations and moments there where I would hit and we'd get into a question series with either Christopher Ray, Merrick Garland, or you pick the next bad actor from the Biden administration. And uh, it'd get 1.5 million views on YouTube. And so I think people, our name ID is out there because we're in the fight and we're doing what we said we were going to do. And so um, I've been very well pleased and well received. And so the early polling has us up in this race by eight points. We're going to continue to we're going to continue to, you know, to work in that direction and run on that conservative message. And like I said, the district has shifted its ruby red now. And so it's perfect for us to represent that. And so I think there's a great opportunity here for us. I'm excited about it, to be honest with you. We also talked with um, Congressman Carl about the 
possibility or even likelihood of outside groups coming in. That's that's kind of par for the course these days. That's typically what happens, specifically club for growth, because the last time they really got involved, they were for you, but they were against Carl. And so it, it benefited you in AL2, but he actually overcame it in his race. So that's kind of an interesting dynamic. But I saw that I saw where you said you would rather that that they not come in, but that's not something you really can't control. So do you see Club for Growth or any other groups coming in to to, to support you or support Carl or um, you know is that is it going to be a, an air war from from DC groups? You know I don't know. I to me um, House Freedom Caucus guys, we don't get a lot of the K Street money up here, and uh, so. Um, very often we don't have a lot of outside groups that will play in our races. I mean, House Freedom Fund may help me, but I did ask Club to set it out because I thought they were hypercritical of Donald Trump. And I thought that was ridiculous. I mean, he is the leader of our party. And so, um, I mean, like him or not, he, he is the man right now that, it, that I think that needs to be the nominee and likely the president of the United States on his 47th. And so I, I just thought that the way they went after him and it wasn't tied that they didn't agree with him on policy. That wasn't the issue. It was some of the things about his arrest. I thought that, I mean, I've been down that road. I've been, you know, I've been, I've been on the receiving end of a weaponized DOJ and I get that. And so I feel for his family and I think it's ridiculous. And so I just wasn't, I didn't approve of the way that they, they made, they made light of that because it's not if we're fighting for Donald Trump, it's if we're fighting to be able to pick our nominee to be president of the United States as Republicans in this country. And so he's our top guy right now. And so you know, I don't know what club will do, but I did ask them, you know, just to stay out of my race and uh, let me run on my record. And, you know, that was a tough decision. You have to you have to speak truth to power. And a lot of times they say money wins races. But we've always thought that our record and our grassroots would do it for us. And so I, I don't I don't look to the, the mountain of government and for that pile of money to come save me. I want to fight for the American people and hopefully they'll get in the booth and fight for me in the voting booth. And so, you know, it's just the way we do this. And so, yeah, I've asked them to sit it out. Now, I guarantee you there'll be some money from D.C. in this race, but I doubt likely they'll be on the conservative side or at least the House Freedom Caucus gas side. Talk about House Freedom Caucus. Um, so my recollection is it started around 2013 or so. But back then it was really only like, I don't know, like a dozen members, maybe. Um, I don't know what that number is up to now. It's probably quadrupled or, or something like that. But I'm just curious, like, take us inside those meetings. What do y'all, how, how many members are there? Um, and what do y'all talk about? Like, what's the um, sort of point? What's the focus of the Freedom Caucus? Like, what, what are your goals? So, so that's a good question. And and so I think I need to take it a couple things, Todd. I, I the it, it was founded by Jim Jordan and Mark Meadows, a few of the guys early on that you know and have heard of, I'm sure. And, uh, you know, I think initially because RSC had gone a little bit, had gotten so many members, it was no longer conservative. That's a Republican study committee for your listeners. But uh, it had gotten it wasn't quite as conservative. So they started the House Freedom Caucus. And so um, the goal of that is to just limit the size of government. It, you know, there is a cancer in D.C. It's literally this bureaucracy here, this these bureaucrats that control our lives. And it doesn't matter um, what we say or do. They pass regulations and rules and they kind of write laws, if you will, from from smoke filled rooms and policy corners in some building up here in D.C. And it's not the Capitol where we're voting on it, by the way. And so I think that House Freedom Caucus is really 
we're trying to limit government, but I can tell you, man, it's one of the few places I go up here that I don't feel like I need a shower. That, those people in that room are here for the right reasons. And it, it amazes me. Listen, we don't all agree in there. And there's probably 40 of us now, Todd, if I had to guess, it went from 10. But another thing I think is interesting is since Trump was elected, about 70% of the Republican conference is new. And I think that's why you're seeing this speaker race is not be rubber stamps anymore. I think that's why you're seeing such a debate, you know, single subject bills, you know, sticking to certain 12 approach process, no more CRs, the kind of things that really are going to fix this country are coming from that group of people we call the House Freedom Caucus. And with a slim majority like it is, it's not like you can, uh, you know, just tell the, the establishment crowd up here, the uniparty, hey, we're going to vote on this. Now you've got such a slim majority. It's it's it allows the House Freedom Caucus to have impact on policy. And I think that's the reason you're seeing the fights for the speaker. There is, a again, a conservative voice. We've seen in the American people shutting down Bud Light, but it's it's come into it's it's actually worked its way into the elected officials here in D.C. where they've sent different people, outsiders who are here to fix problems. And so that the things we accomplish is just trying to make sure that we get this country back on track. Look, the Democrats want to drive it off the cliff. There's no sense in us riding shotgun. And and for us to sit there and do that as Republicans and conservatives, when we run in the district, say, oh, we're going to fight Biden, and then we get up here and go along with everything the Democrats have done, that doesn't really make much of a good story for me or for the people that we represent. It doesn't end well. The criticism of the Freedom Caucus has been essentially that, you know, okay, with the goal being to get the most conservative bill possible, right? And then you get that. And then a lot of members still vote no, right? And so the, the, the criticism has been, well, look, if you're going to notch, if you're going to notch a win, if you're going to actually accomplish something, there's got to be some yes votes somewhere, especially when you achieve what you've wanted in terms of getting whatever bill to the floor. So how do you respond to that? I mean, there are members of the caucus that really are going to vote no anyway on any appropriations bill, even if it's what they asked for. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there, there are, there are those situations where there's just something in there that a guy can't go along with and he's not going to vote for it. And, you know, again, there's 200 and what, 21 Republicans right now, I think. So, so, um, you know, it don't take a whole lot to toss that thing out the door. Um, if you get five that hold out or whatever, but you know, it, to me, it's still vote your convictions, vote your principles. But I can tell you that very often I've been in the room when we've agreed as House Freedom Cox members to go along with something that was not perfect, as long as we stuck to the guns on the rest of the stuff. And so and I think that's where we're in the fight now. I think that we're pretty serious about this border. I mean, House Freedom Caucus, they're the people that brought attention to the border when I first got here in 21. I mean, it was like we started talking about issues with the Biden administration, you know, immediately this this instant asylum, people pouring across the U.S. southern border. It, it just we realized right then that there was going to be a crisis. And so we said, let's go out at the triangle here in front of the Capitol and do a press conference on the border. And then let's start going to the border. And we've made it, a you know, we've made that a priority to bring attention to the border. So now we have a bill. H.R. 2 is the toughest border bill ever passed. We passed it out of the House with a slim majority. It's in the Senate. And so we are making progress on holding the line there. And I think that, that that's what happens if we roll over, Todd. At any point, the Senate, Schumer, and the executive branch, the White House, they're just going to they're gonna continue the business as usual. And so we didn't have the majority. We only had it about 10 months. And so it hasn't been easy, and it's been a slim majority. But, you know, yeah, it's going to be hard to get everybody to agree. 
But I think we have done a fine job. And, and even I think we were instrumental in, in getting Mike Johnson a speaker as HFC because, you know, hey, look, I got a 93 score, conservative score. He's at a 92. He's pretty darn conservative. Probably one of the most conservative guys we've ever had as speaker. And so, um, you know, we have an impact here. And I think the American people, you look at the brand of House Freedom Caucus, yeah, we may not go along with the the, the probes bills or the NDAA, especially if it drafts our daughters or it has a vaccine mandate in it or, you know, continue CRT in the military or transgender sex changes, whatever the case may be. There are certain things we just will not give on. But if we do, it never changes. I mean, you know, it's like y'all got to go along to get it done. Well, if we go along to get it done, that's why we're 27 years and not having an approach bill in this town. That's why we're 33 trillion in debt. So some of us have to hold the line, even when it's not fun and when it's not popular, but it's up to us. And if we're going to do this, this is not a career for me. It's not a career for these house freedom caucus guys. These guys are here for the right reasons. And listen, there are others who are not in HFC that are, are doing a pretty darn good job and they're fairly conservative, but we have to not just bend because of the pressure here. Because if we do, nothing ever changes. And we didn't go, like I said, 27 years without 12 approach bills uh, because uh, we were doing our job. Congressman, let me let me get back to a, um, a re-election question real quick. You, you've mentioned President Trump a few times. Obviously, you are one of the first supporters of um, President Trump, and he's endorsed you in previous races. Have you, are you seeking his endorsement in this race? Because um, obviously Representative Carl has also been a, a supporter of, of his as well. And are, are you seeking that endorsement and could it make a difference in this race? Yeah, for sure. I, I would love to have the president's endorsement. And you're right, Mary. I was the first in the nation to endorse him August 21st, 2015 in Lab People Stadium. And I was also a delegate that year in 2016. And my daughter, Kathleen, was the youngest Trump delegate in the nation at the time. And so we got on the train long before it left the station. And uh, look, I signed up very early before I even decided to run for office this time. As I was waiting to decide and see what I felt led to do, I signed up to be a Trump delegate because there are not a lot of people, Mary, right now in this country that could take the pressure. And I like Ron DeSantis. He was House Freedom Caucus when he was here. You know, I like Tim Scott and Vivek Ramaswamy. I, you know, these are good guys and I know them. And, uh, you know, Vivek's a young go-getter, wrote a great book, Woke Inc. I mean, but there are not many people right now, no matter if they really are an agent of change in Washington, D.C., and you send them here, that the system does not go after. And so it's going to take somebody that's very wealthy, number one, to pay for the attorney's fees. And secondly, they got to be daggum tough. I mean, because they're going to arrest you once a week. They're going to impeach you every other week. And then they're going to go after your family in the spare time that they have and raid your house and your closet any other time they've got. So there's not many people on planet Earth right now or in America that could have the resources, number one, and the toughness, number two, to do what Donald Trump's going to have to do. So sure, I would love to have his endorsement. And I'm going to fight for him, whether he endorses me or not, because he's the man for the job for this time. And so that's just that's just how it is for our country right now. And whether you like him or not, I, I said this after he was arrested the first time. It's not about Donald Trump necessarily. It's about us being able to pick the leader of the Republican Party and of our country going into the next four, six, eight years, whatever the case may be, because if they win with him, they'll never let up again. You mentioned you're on the House Judiciary Committee. Um, looks like we're going to have a vote on a impeachment inquiry. Right. Um, unless yeah. that's already happened. No, it hadn't yet happened. I don't think yet. it okay. looks like it's going to happen, oh, which is interesting. It's, you know, more of a formal process and everything. I guess they could. Do you, do you expect them to set up 
a different committee or should, or do you expect that to come through judiciary? Cause that would give you a front row seat on impeachment. Yeah, I, I, I hope with Jim Jordan as chairman and, and we've got very capable members. It's fascinating. When Jim asked me to be on judiciary, Todd, it was interesting. We were sitting on the floor back before well, last year before recess. And he said, Barry, he said, would you be willing to serve on judiciary? And I'm like, Jim, brother, I'm a garbage man. Baton's Crossroads, Alabama. I am not an attorney. And he said, well, look, Grassley's a farmer. He does a heck of a job in the Senate. He said, I think you can bring a different perspective. And so. We got on there and but but again, I'm I'm I, to me, I was like, I'm in way over my head out here. These guys are incredible and they're attorneys and you got some great orators and all that and they know the law. But I think that with Chairman Jordan, he has a way of pulling people together. And I tell him all the time and he loves this. We had dinner last night. I'm like, Jim, you have a way of getting the hay down where the goats can get it. In other words, he thought that's the craziest thing coming from an Alabama boy because he's from Ohio. Mm-hmm. But what he takes the so you know, Mary, what he just takes those complex issues. He condenses them down to a 45 second, 30 second, 30 second hit that the American people can understand and then and, and, and they get it. And so I think in judiciary, he would be a heck of a chairman to, to carry out impeachment on Biden. And I think that Jordan actually he, he needs the he needs the opportunity to run that committee. I don't know that there's anybody any better than the second most popular Republican in America. What's the what's the case? Like, what is the what is the charge that you think would be brought? Uh, against is it is it related to hunter biden is it what's the um because so so yeah specific or is it more broad no i think it's going to need to be specific because we have certain just constitutionalists within our committee that want to stick strictly to the rule and i get that but i think it's to tell as old as time right i mean you got this politician who does this favor that benefits his family who gets money and then they try to cover it up and that's the hunter biden barisma story and so uh, the evidence is there. I mean, Hunter said he didn't belong on the board of Brisma. He got on there because his last name was Biden. And then uh, they, they they fired the uh, investigator over in that was investigating Burisma because Hunter reached out to his dad and then made the play call on the way to Kiv to fire the investigator or hold the billion dollar loan guarantee. And so we pulled that together. And that I mean, remember, Trump got impeached for calling just to investigate the investigators concerning Burisma. Now we know for a fact that there were checks written out to the Biden family. Hunter Biden got paid. Investigators got fired and the investigation never came back up in in Ukraine. So I I think that it's a case that we can build pretty easily. And I think the evidence is there. And so I don't think as I know your show's called into the weeds, but I don't need necessarily on this impeachment need to get in the weeds. American people can understand there's corruption there. And that certainly puts us in a bad spot uh, globally. And uh, with this administration being compromised. Do you, are you concerned that we're just going to get to the point where, like, wh- whichever, if there's a different party in Congress and a different party in the White House, there's just going to be impeachment? Like, does, does it doesn't matter what, what happens. I mean, because that, that, some could perceive it to be that way. And well, kind of yeah. related, it, is it a political risk to do it to begin with? Well, here's the thing. I mean, I absolutely, when my, about my seventh or eighth day on the job, my first floor speech ever was defending Donald Trump on the second impeachment just before he was being forced out of office. And I said, y'all are turning impeachment into a political process, and that is a travesty to justice in this country. And I felt like that was the case. But in this situation, the evidence is clear. And whether the Democrats abuse it or not, we have taken our time. Oversight and Comer and his team have put together incredible evidence, canceled checks, written out to Joe Biden. We know now that Burisma fired, or we know that Ukraine fired the investigator concerning Burisma, and Hunter Biden testified as much. And so 
yeah, I, I don't want this to become a political issue, but the American people, we cannot just not abide by the law. The guys have violated the rule of law in this country. And look, I think the Democrats wrongly weaponized it against Trump. But in this situation, the evidence is clear. And I think that we have to impeach. And I think that it's uh, it's something that they expect us to do. And I think we should go after some of the members of his cabinet as well. Hmm. Well, we're we're almost out of time. Um, let me get a little uh, weedy on the campaign stuff. If, if you'll if you'll divulge, um, when can we expect you to be up on TV or on radio? You know, I probably um, I don't figure I'll do anything much till I don't know if I'm giving away top secret evidence. And if I am, <laughs> forgive me, but I, I don't think we that right here at the holiday. Yeah, I don't think that the holidays right now people want to hear from politicians. Heather and I are going to do our Christmas parades. We're going to go to meet people. We'll continue to work as hard as we ever have for the district and do our town halls and you know do our mobile office hours. The things that we already do from district two that we're going to be continuing to do, but. You know, right now, I think coming into Christmas and New Year's, they don't want to hear from politicians. I mean, well, we need to stand yeah. here and get our work done. And I think we'll continue to do that. And heck, I'll let that team decide, Todd. But I don't I don't see the point right now than just doing Christmas parades and getting to meet people. If you know Heather and Barry Moore and our, our family, we've always been a grassroots campaign. We knock more doors than anybody in 2010. We always have. Even when we're running for Congress, we knock doors. And so we're going to let the people get to know us. And so I don't necessarily need to be up on air anytime soon. I need to meet the people. And especially considering um, you've got well, Mobile is a lot more expensive market than either Montgomery or Dothan. And with 21 candidates running in the second and they, they've got Mobile and Montgomery, too. That's that's a lot of noise to, to try to exactly get through. Right. right. And so I, I'm, I'm curious, you know, which, which those conversations have been about, like, goodness, how do we even break through when you've got I mean, I'm, I'm going to assume that not all 21 of those candidates can can afford to get up on TV and everything, but you've got to think eight or nine will. So yeah, is it is it a, a game of trying to figure out a, a message to break through a noise when people aren't even going to re- remember which district they're supposed to vote in? You're running for this. Everybody's running for Congress. How do you differentiate yourself? <laughs> Everybody is running. Yeah, when I saw that 21 people in second district, I was like, oh, dear Lord, how do you even differentiate, right? But but for me, Todd, I think that the key is just our record, right? I mean, we've been, we've been fighting the fight for 30 months here, and I, I think that's the thing. People know who we are already. They've seen us out there in the fight. You know, like you said, the high-profile here in the judiciary. And just being House Freedom Caucus and the press conferences and the fight at the border, being the border as much as I have, I think those are things that bode well. And so, um, you know, and again, if somebody wants to pull our record, heck yeah, we're the most conservative from Alabama and we got the highest liberty score and the highest CPAC score. So all those things go well for educated voters in a Republican primary. I think we're in pretty darn good shape. All right. Well, Congressman, again, thank you for your time. I know you've got some votes to get to, but um, yes, re- sir, really appreciate you coming on in the weeds. Thank hey, you. Thank sir. you, guys. See you later. Merry Christmas if I don't see you. Merry Christmas, sir. Merry Christmas. All right. Good stuff. Yeah. It was that, um, um, what he said about how District 1, you know, I you know, kind of think of Jerry Carl as the incumbent there, but I mean, really, they're, they're both incumbents. <laughs> I mean, it's such a, yeah, he already knows technically. such a big chunk of that district. But, well, and I, you asked some really good questions about like, you know, did you consider running in the second? And those were, I mean, I was honestly just curious about that because I, in, in all the 
reporting and and just what what's going on with him jumping in the race. I've never heard that explanation. Like, and it it, it finally makes sense to me. He's like, you know, not only do I live in this district, but like it's right. got a very conservative profile. Yeah, that's not his district I'm, anymore. <laughs> like, right. Yeah, and and and, and talking about. Well, this, yeah, the second, if the, if a Republican wins, it's going to be somebody not in the Freedom Caucus, that kind of thing. So anyway, it finally makes more sense to me, you know, what what's going on. Um, and um, I mean, I also found it interesting, like very early on in his first answer, he throws out you know, Freedom Caucus and your most conservative and all that kind of stuff. I think we're going to hear a lot more of that. Um and I'm I'm really curious, and I'd love to see poll. I'm going to try to get his polling. Yeah, I um, made a note. I made a note and circled it 18 times. Eight percent. We want to see those numbers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Want to see those numbers? That, like that's. I want to. I want to see the questions that were asked. But um, but also like, are they polling on Freedom Caucus? Right? Is that? You know what? What's the a, a, you know fave unfave on freedom caucus i'd be really we're going to do some polling probably early early next year I, I may throw that in um just to just to see but obviously he 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 believes it's an asset he, he thinks that that, yeah. that will appeal to to those conservative voters um so that's that's something yeah yeah it's interesting yeah when i said that district two isn't his district anymore i mean literally it's not but the, to hear him talk I mean, it just, those aren't his people anymore. Uh, and so it'll be, I don't know, I think that's going to be fascinating to watch in the next six months. But obviously there's some Republicans who think those are their people because uh, they're they're in it. Yeah. Well, it was a good interview. Thanks for um, lining that guest up as always. Yeah. But yeah, so, so what's next? Are we going to interview all 21 of the... Uh... <laughs> second district candidate <laughs> you shut your mouth <laughs> well so we're, we're, so we're trying to do profiles no alex and i have a plan to do profiles that's right uh, an attempt to do profiles on on all 21 and um so we are uh i am hopeful <laughs> but yeah it's yeah just trying to, to, when, to know, separate uh, go ahead a few people might drop out it, it, it i'm yeah you know I think if if we even got to eighteen profiles, that would be a an accomplishment. So and, and some some candidates sign up and you can't ever reach them and that kind right. of thing. So but we're, yeah. we're, so we're getting the ones thing. that are out there. Really we're getting getting the big names first, but um, we're well, I kind of I sort of um, bit off more than I could chew because I started having um, candidates on Capital Journal. I saw before, that like before. <laughs> <laughs> before there was this huge list there were it was yeah. like okay we thought maybe like 10 people might run for congress well that's right. manageable i can i can fit 10 people on the show week to week you know and um now it's 21 it's like oh goodness how are we going to do that but i do i do think it's important like you know we're going there're going to be stories written people know who Barry Moore is people know who J.R. Carl is that that race is going to take care of itself but this is a brand new district right AL2 with a bunch of new candidates and I just feel like it's worth some reporting and worth some, you know, digging in to, to um, you know, some of these voters are voting for somebody for the very first time. And right. I, I think it's worth introducing them. So, sure. but yeah, w wish us luck on APT. <laughs> yeah, that it is. Uh, 
It's a lot. Yeah, that November 10th, the filing deadline, you know, every time I clicked refresh on the <laughs> the qualifying list, it's like, goodness gracious. <laughs> like, wild. It's gonna be it so would wild. be easier to talk about who isn't running. <laughs> right. Well, I, I, again, I wouldn't be surprised if some dropped out. Um, sure. And I'm starting to hear some rumors about that. Maybe we'll report that for Inside Alabama Politics. But um, and again, thinking about specifically the mobile market um, and maybe a, a little bit Dothan, too, but specifically mobile. So two congressional campaigns with probably right. quite a bit of money are going to be pouring money, you know, for ads. I'm thinking radio and TV, especially, of course, you got mail, but direct mail is different because they, they can target it right to you. But, I mean, they're, they're just going to be inundated. Those, those poor voters in Mobile aren't going to yeah. know who's running for what. And um, right. that's, as a, you know, as a campaign consultant, it would be interesting to, to try to plot that out to say, okay, um, how do we, how do we stand out? So I'm, I'm, I'm curious to watch that. Right. And it's just such a monster district. But I mean, more than 200 miles across from border to border, Mobile to Montgomery. And that just the, even if you want to do like the grassroots, I mean, the amount of time and manpower um, that 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 takes, it's just, this is going to be a lot of work for folks to get their names out there. Yep. And many of them not living in the district. So like almost most of them, um, <laughs> significant number. All right. Well, good, good pod, Mary. Thanks for doing this. Good pod. Yeah, it was fun. Well, Appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll talk next time. And until then, please, if you're listening, please leave us a rating, a five-star rating, of course. Five-star. Um, that, that or don't do it us, at all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, right. Five-star rating, that helps us reach people and, also gives us good feedback that you think we're doing a good job. But with that, I guess we'll talk to you next time. See you next time.